God bless you all. Welcome to Bible Study Live. I see my musician from Texas on here, Brother Terrell Lockett, Bishop Lockett. Good to see you at Deliver Simple Bible Study Live. Good to see all my family, my friends. I love y'all. Y'all are uh, part of the reason why I do what I do. I do it because I'm called, but I thank you that I'm called to, as Solomon said, such a great people. So I'm grateful. We're going to take this time to bow our heads and pray so we can jump right into the word of God for this evening. So let's do that. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we praise you. We love you. We magnify you, God. We appreciate you for all that you are and all that you mean. Thank you for doing all that you do in our lives. We are uh, so grateful for all your work in our lives, God. We ask that you would continue to encourage us, bless us, strengthen us, bless this uh, time of gathering and learning and studying, illuminate it, God, both from the speaker's perspective as well as for the listener. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So for starters, we have been in what I have been uh, calling the pathway series. And so uh, we started off with the path forward. And initially I was looking at that as only one um, sermon, but then it began to grow from there. And so we turned it into a series and Last Sunday was our third installment, so we're going to go back and just cover and kind of make you aware, catch everybody up to speed. So uh, with the Pathway series, we start off with the Path Forward, and in those, in the Path Forward, we looked at these four things here. Uh, when your path is dark, he will be your light. Uh, when your path is confusing, he will be your peace. And when your path is hard, he will be your comfort. And when your path is weak, he will be your strength. And so what those were looking at and speaking to is that, uh, especially in a brand new year and you're wanting to go forward, maybe leaving uh, uh, what uh, the previous years, leaving those behind, you want to go forward. But sometimes in going forward, there's a certain level of uncertainty because you don't know what's there. One of the biggest fears is the fear of the unknown. And so those assurances was to let you know that whatever you face on the path forward, that Jesus has an answer for that. And so that's what that was for. So then we left that and went into the path inward. And the path inward, we had these points here. One, when you go inward, you aren't retreating, you are replenishing. Two, when you go inward, you aren't retreating, you are renewing. Three, when you go inward, you aren't retreating, you are realigning. And four, when you go inward, you aren't retreating, you are rejoicing. And so the overall summary of that uh, was the path inward enables us to tackle the path forward. And so we were making the point that as you go forward and there is some uncertainty, yes, you have some insurances that Jesus has left you. But then there becomes a time where in order for you to go forward, you have to actually go inward. You go on the inside and that going on the inside is not you retreating from the path, not you retreating from challenges, it's not you retreating from the enemy. It's actually regrouping. And we talked about those different ways. And then we uh, ended that on the rejoicing piece, how you learn to tap on the inside and bring a rejoicing. So wherever you are on the journey, you're able to rejoice, even if you can't rejoice in what you see naturally on the outside, you can always go on the inside. And that's why the songwriter was able to say this joy that I have, the Lord, the world didn't give it to me. So since the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. That joy is actually on the inside. So 
we took those two sermons and then we uh, took a pivot and a shift. And that is to the path downward. And we're going to uh, define that for us. Downward definition is toward a lower place, point, or level. A lower place, a lower point, or a lower level. And so one of the things that we were talking about with this is the fact that a lot of times in church, in ministry, in Christendom, in kingdom talk, we always talk about going to another level. And we've even said things like new uh, level, new devil. Well, what sometimes happens is, especially in the path forward, you end up getting to new levels and you face new things. And so sometimes there's a temptation to stop, to actually retreat. We talked about retreating that when we're going in or we're not retreating, but some people actually do retreat. And a lot of times what they think they can do is just stop. Okay, well, I'm not going to give it my all. I got my heart broken last time, so I'm going to, I'm still going to be saved. I'm still a Christian, but I'm not giving it my all, my 100%. I'm just going to play it safe. Well, there is no real playing it safe because what happens is you actually drift downward. So in order for you to go forward, you can't be stagnant because your stagnation is going to cause two things. It's going to cause either you to go backwards or you to go downward. And the reason why I didn't uh, call this the path backwards, because a lot of times we do talk about backsliding, but the scripture says God is married to the backslider. So when you do slide back and you realize it, there's nothing that keeps you from repenting, adjusting, and getting right back where you left off at. So a lot of Christians, they know better than to backslide or they have backslidden and they come back and they don't want to go through that process. So they feel like they can just be still. But the path being still is actually the path downward. You're losing levels. You're not going where you need to be. And so we have to take some time to talk about that and discuss it. And so uh, once again, toward a lower place. So now you're moving toward a lower place or a lower level. You could be saved and on a lower level than you were before, which is what we're trying to avoid. So in order to do this, we have a foundational scripture that we're going to build the whole thing off of. The whole sermon was built off of this foundational scripture. And so let's look at it here. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. So it's actually two scriptures, but it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that statement is referring to the previous chapter, which was Hebrews 11, which is the Hall of Faith, where they begin to talk about all the people who, uh, who waited in faith, believed in faith, that, that list. And so since we are co- surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses of these people, these people who possess things by faith, this is what we are tasked to do. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, Paul uh, is not sure that Paul wrote this. Uh, Some don't know that. So the writer of Hebrews is unknown. But Paul often used sports analogies when he was uh, making his connection. If this writer is Paul is doing the same thing. If it's not, whoever it is, they're using 
an analogy as well. And they're using the analogy of race. And so understanding that a person who runs a race doesn't run the race filled with a lot of weights. They lay those things aside. They take things off. They strip down to the uh, essentials that you need to running even in today's track. Sometimes just like a, a tank and some shorts, some cleats. That's about it. You don't want any other thing to slow you down because you have a race that you're trying to run. So he points that out. But what I found fascinating is that oftentimes in church, we want to really magnify sin. But in this case, the writer doesn't put sin first. It puts weights first, lay aside the weight and the sin. And so there is an understanding that sin is a thing that can trap us up. We do understand that. But that's not what we really want to magnify because uh, the blood of Jesus is there for sin. So, so sin has already been dealt with. But the weight is something you have to deal with. Now, now it says weight and then it says sin. It says weight and the sin. And so uh, they both can trap you up. But for those of us who are really serious about doing the will of God, it may not be necessarily the sin. It could be more the weights. And so we have to lay those aside and we have to know what they are and we have to lay them aside. We have to figure out what is weighing us down. And it's a possibility the thing that is actually weighing you down is not a sin at all. It could progress to a sin, but maybe it doesn't start that way. It's just a weight, but it still slows you down. Um, low self-esteem is not a sin, but it's a weight that could actually slow you down. It's a weight that could get you into sin. Your low self-esteem could cause you to move into envy and jealousy and uh, to, to covet, but it didn't start off as a sin. It started off as a weight. So we have to pay attention to those things because those things have a tendency of keeping us from going to the levels that we need to go and actually pulling us downward. So let's look at the next verse. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I want to make this point because I made it on Sunday as well. It's letting us know that our faith is not perfect. It is through Jesus that our faith is perfected. So the focal point must be Jesus. Even though we have to lay aside the weight and the sin, that is not the focal point. The focal point is Jesus. And the more we focus on him, he's able to perfect our faith. And in perfecting our faith, he's encouraging us to let go of the weights and the sin. So looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, King James says the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So it is telling us something uh, that is vital to the uh, story of Jesus that we have seen before. If you had read the scripture in like its chronological order, you know he had already went to, to the cross. But there was nothing joyful about the cross based on what we read. But here we get a glimpse from this writer in Hebrews that he saw joy. And he had to see joy beyond the cross. And so he endured what he did because he saw joy beyond it. Here's the thing. You're not laying the weights and the sin aside for no reason. You're laying them aside because there's joy on the other end of this journey. 
And that's why we try to reach in or when we do inward and rejoice because it's giving us something to know that at some point this joy won't be just on the inside. It'll be our daily walk, our daily existence. It'll be when heaven comes to earth on earth as it is in heaven. And so there takes a pressing, there takes a uh, determination to know, hey, I, I don't want to go downward. I actually want to keep moving toward this path or on this path forward in this journey because I want to get to the joy. So I have to uh, get past the uh, cross that I have to bear. Now, the scripture says it this way. Let's go back to it. It says despising the shame. So there could be shame that comes in this process and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The right hand of God is the right hand of his power. The throne of God, of course, represents his authority, but Jesus being seated shows that it's finished. It is finalized. It's a place of rest. So you won't be striving forever. Uh, Be not weary in well-doing for you'll reap if you faint not. So the only thing we have to do is get to the end, so to speak. We have to get there so that we can rest, so that we can uh, be at the throne of God. So it is a long journey. This is not a sprint. This is like cross country. This is long distance. So since it's long distance, that means that we have to consistently lay aside weights and sin because we don't want anything that's going to actually pull us downward. All right. Having said that, then we decided to break it, break it down into four weights that actually pull us downward. So let's say that again, four weights that pull us downward. So I could have picked and chosen several things. I decided to choose these just four things, but there's many weights, but the ones that I wanted to uh, focus on is because I'm using the word focus I wanted to talk about things that were going to take our attention away from Jesus, which is the finish line, the prize, anything that would really distract. And so I think it's important for us to understand that because, like I said, we, we, we in church, we, we're so focused on sin. And when I say sin, we, a lot of times we only talk about the big stuff that we think is sin. But there's so many other things that can really distract. There are things that are not sin. That could really cause uh, a domino effect of things to happen in your life. Um, you, you could be getting in just natural debt, making poor stewardship choices that are not sin. But now you're in debt and things are spiraling out of control. And now you're worrying about your bills. And now your faith is being robbed because of past decisions that you made and a lot of times when people are in debt, they keep digging deeper. They go, they, they go further and not necessarily like you buying, buying Jordans when you shouldn't is not necessarily a sin. It's just a weight that can cause a domino effect. And so a lot of people are looking and they'll be like, well, God, why aren't you blessing me? I'm, I'm praying. I'm reading the word word. Well, cause this is not a sin. This has nothing to do with sin. It's a weight. And the weight has compiled itself and caused you things. Now what it could do, it could tempt you to sin. Because now, oh, I need to, uh, in order to pay my bills, I need to do this. I need to steal. I need to sell my body. I need to sell drugs. Now now you're getting into things that could cause sin, but it started off as a weight. On Sunday, 
morning I talked about the uh, in what Song of Solomon has spoken. It says the little foxes that destroy the vine. And so uh, I believe it was the lover speaking to the group of women talking about how the little foxes destroy the vine. But the, the real context of that was the fact that on the vine were the fruit and the fruit was too high for the, the little foxes, the small ones. They couldn't climb up there so that they would eat the bottom of the vine. And what that would happen to do, it would cut off the life source of the vine and the vine would die and the fruit would drop because it it could no longer uh, be sustained. And so in order for the little fox to get what it wanted, it actually had to create death, but death by a thousand little cuts, so to speak. Not something major, just a nip here, a nip there. And that's what the weights have a tendency to do. And what it'll do, it'll pull us downward. We have to understand, even naturally, we have what we call the gravitational pull, which is a good thing, but it's also a dangerous thing. So as it relates to gravity, if I didn't, if we didn't have gravity, then I would just be floating. We, we, we need something that helps center us to the earth. But the problem about that is that if you are up high and you fall, gravity doesn't say, hey, well, you're up high, so I should let you float so you don't hurt yourself. No, gravity only knows one thing, to have a pull down. And so as it relates to the things of God, the gravitational pull of the cosmos of the natural world, not the spiritual world, not the supernatural world, but the natural world, the fleshly world, the carnal world. Uh, the old preachers would talk, talk about carnality. Some carnality is not sin at all, but it can cause weight. And so if you are, are rising up and you're going to new levels and sometimes the new devil you face, it's not trying to fight you head on. It's trying to take the rug out from under you so that you fall downward. In other words, you've already risen this high, so we got to stop you and we've got to bring you down. And so there are so many circumstances that come in our life and they're designed to bring us down, to pull us down. And once you have a fall and a crash, and sometimes the weight has turned into a sin, you have a fall, you have a crash, getting back to where you were can be a struggle, especially if you don't understand the grace of God. That's why I love David in Psalms 51. He poured his heart out because he had made a major mistake. But we, we don't want to have to go through that. We want to realize when things are weights or small foxes. When, when am I being nipped at, cut at? Where am I being cut at? What is distracting me? What is taking away my focus? And how can I refocus so that I stay on this path forward, but I'm actually not going down? I'm not being pulled down. All right, let's go here. Looking to Jesus equals the answer. So in that scripture, we, uh, it says, the first thing it says, it says, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. So it starts off with the answer. So if the answer is looking to Jesus or the solution is looking to Jesus, that means that should tell us what the problem is. Problem is. So let's go to the problem. The problem is taking eyes off of Jesus. So that is the problem. So looking to Jesus equals the answer. Taking eyes off of Jesus equals the problem. So it, the, the reason why I said that scripture is our foundational scripture, because in this path downward 
sermon, I'm, I'm not really dealing with the individual uh, weights and foxes so much. I'm dealing with the overall problem is anything that takes our eyes off of Jesus. So looking to Jesus is the answer. I'm going to bring up four examples of things that pull our eyes away from Jesus. But you can have a myriad of examples for yourself, but just know that is ultimately the problem. Taking our eyes off of Jesus and looking to Jesus is ultimately the answer. All right, so each weight will be something that takes focus from Jesus and therefore pulling us down. So let's start with the very first one. The very first one was circumstance focus. So one of the things I want to point out about circumstance focus, circumstance is really, what I mean by this, I really mean uh, weight and not sin. Because what a circumstance does and, and what the type of circumstances I'm talking about are things that are outside of your control. Something that you did not do that fell in your lap and now you are forced to deal with it. Whether it is uh, you have a, a certain preferred shift that you like, that you want, they have a mass layoff at your job, has nothing to do with you. Now you have to uh, have your shift adjusted. That changes your daycare, changes uh Everything you do, it throws your whole routine and schedule off. You are, I'll give you an example. I was at one point going back to school, taking night classes, and then a change on my job just canceled all that I was in the middle of. I was doing good, and then I couldn't get back to those cl classes. It, uh, it, it almost made me feel like everything I tried to do just got blocked and stopped, and it was nothing, I had nothing to do with it. It created a circumstance outside of my control. And that's what a lot of these uh, weights are designed to do, to pile up on you to where you're like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but now I'm getting negativity back and it's not my fault. But the design is to take your eyes off of Jesus. I was talking to my goddaughter just last night. It was something I was thinking about. And uh, she had mentioned the potholes in Indianapolis. And uh, and I was mentioning the fact that East Central Indiana is just, when it deals with potholes, it's, it's rough. From, from Muncie to Anderson to Indianapolis, that whole area is just rough. But what's, when I, I, I used to complain about it, but when I thought deeper about it, I realized the catch-22 that the city has with it is because when ice freezes and snow comes, the best thing to put on it to keep the roads from being really hazardous, causing a lot of accidents and causing a lot of trouble, is to put the salt on the road. And you have to leave the salt on the road for it to do its job. But the problem is the salt is so good that once it melts the ice and the snow, it actually eats into the road. And so then once the snow season is gone, now you're left with holes. Well, it's not necessarily the city's fault. They had no control over the weather, and they have to put the salt down to keep from accidents, but then it creates another problem. Now they have to go fix that problem. And the point that I'm making is life, especially in this fallen world, is like that. 
you fix one issue that was out of your control and it creates another issue. You have a child who gets in trouble, gets locked up in jail, and now you're spending a lot of time and resources and lawyer fees working on that child, trying to provide nurture to that child. And then another child is like, you're, well, you don't spend any time for, with me. You're, 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 uh, they're upset with you. We're like, what do you do? Like, you, you didn't tell your child to get in trouble, to go to jail. And so now that forces you to act a certain way. It takes time from another child. Now you're trying to juggle. So circumstances can come in a way where it's outside of your control and they can just bog you down with weight. But the point of this is you have to keep looking at Jesus, even though the circumstance is topsy-turvy. And so in order to do that, we wanted to go here. Something that I had referenced in the path inward, I actually wanted to look at it. So whenever I think of circumstance focus, I really think about this story. So let's go here. It says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto the water. So here, this is the story of when the disciples saw what they thought was a ghost walking on the water and it was actually approaching uh, them. And Peter said, if it's you, and I believe uh, the, uh, the story says that Jesus said, it is I. And Peter responded, if it's you, tell me to come. Not for sure what made Peter ask that question, but he was like, if it's you, bid, bid me to come. Tell me to come out there if it's really you. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So Peter asked a simple request. And I, I like the fact that Jesus didn't give a elaborate response. He just gave him the word, come. And with that word, Peter stepped out. And the point I also want to make is many times when we get into circumstances, it's because we've stepped out on the word of God. When you play it safe, everybody, everyone else stayed in the boat. I don't blame them for staying in the boat, but Peter had the courage to step out. But when you have the courage to step out, a lot of times that's when trouble comes. And so some things hit your life. One scripture says it comes on account of the word. In other words, when you're not trying to do anything and you're not trying to do anything for God and you're not trying to go down the path to your calling to destiny, a lot of times you don't have some of the th these things happening to you. Yes, you do have things happen. Everybody has things happen to them, but not to this level because once you step out on the word of God, then there are uh, faith attacks. So Peter is stepping out and up until this point, he's doing well. He's actually walking on water, doing what is humanly impossible only because he stepped out on the word of God. And all he used was his faith and a little action. Then it says this, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. So. He was doing fine. And the, the story seems to suggest the only thing that shifted was the fact that he looked at the waves. He saw the waves. And it probably, when I think of it, it probably gripped him with fear. Like, what am I doing? You can step out on faith and then your mind catches up to what you did. And you're like, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? But years hearing this story and hearing it preach, I never 
heard it said, like my father said it, that always gives me some context. And he would say that what Peter didn't understand is whether the waves were high or not, even if the sea was calm, he still shouldn't have been walking on the water. So he allowed something to distract him that shouldn't have distracted him because he was walking on water regardless. He had already gone through the hard part, stepping out on the word of God and the water becoming solidified under his feet. That was the miracle. There was nothing else left to be done. So the waves, the wind, nothing else mattered. He had already been a part of the miracle. The problem is he allowed that to take his attention away from Jesus. I wonder when he first stepped out, how looking to Jesus kept him supported, but looking at the circumstance shifted it immediately. And it says he immediately began to sink. And what happened is it interrupted the miracle working power. So even though Jesus had sent the miracle working power, the weight of being circumstance focused interrupted the miracle working power. So sometimes we do that and we blame God thinking that God stopped the miracle, but it was us because our focus shifted. And some uh, preacher once said, the only reason why men and women fail is because of broken focus. So here it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and saying to him, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Um, I used to think that Jesus said that angrily, but I understood when I had children that he was like, oh, man, you almost had it, man. Why? Like, why'd you quit? Why'd you doubt? Like when, when you're uh, training a child to uh, ride a bike and you tell them I have them and at some point you let them go and they're, they're riding, they're doing good. And then they look back and they see you're no longer holding the bike. And the next thing you know, they they fall. And the first thing you say is like, you had it. Well, you, you, in other words, you were doing it. They'd be like, why you let me go? No, you're, you're missing the point. You have the focus on the wrong point. You were doing it. You were doing it on your, on your own. You were doing it by faith. So, hey, next time, don't look back. Don't, don't get distracted. Distracted. Keep going. Keep your focus. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying. Like, Man, you had it. You were doing it. And so I wonder when it comes to us in our lifetime, what is it being said of us that, hey, you had it, but you looked at the circumstance. Now, some of the circumstances are rough. Now, to be walking on water and all of a sudden start seeing waves, that, that, would, be, that would be scary. There's times that I've been in the ocean, firmly touching the bottom, and a big wave comes and just kind of pushes me back or pulls me out. And there is a fear because of the power of the water. He was on top of the water and there probably was a fear that came. So a grief can do that to you. Um, loss, not just loss of people, but any type of, of loss uh, can do that to you. Sometimes a loss of a friendship, um, just like trials on top of trials, obstacles or, or doors closing in your faith, face. All those things can cause you to get distracted. And so you have to have what I call momentary distraction. You're not perfect, so you're going to get distracted because you're human. But you can't allow the distraction to go too long. When you're driving a physical vehicle, you can look away for a certain amount of time 
You can't look away forever and keep successfully driving. So you have to understand, when am I getting distracted beyond what is normal? When, when is a hour of depression turning into a month of depression? What, I've got to figure out how to catch that because what is happening is I can't be looking at Jesus and looking at the circumstance at the same time. If I'm looking at the circumstance, maybe it's only long enough for me to tell Jesus, hey, I need your help. Or some people say, instead of telling God how big your problem is, tell your problem how big your God is. There's, uh, there's a lot of things that happen. So sometimes you do, it does grab your attention, but you have to make sure it's momentary. It's temporary. It cannot dominate your thought because once it does, you'll sink. But here's the beautiful thing. If you're like Peter and you've been close to Jesus the whole time, even if you sink, he's there to grab you and to pick you up. He was closer than Jesus than closer to Jesus than the people that stayed in the boat. So always remember that. All right, now we're going to move on to our next one. Here's is others focus. So I wanted to turn a little corner and uh, teach this different than it's been taught in the past. Uh, when you're a Christian, you are taught to be others focused. Uh, there is an acronym called joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And that creates joy. And I agree with that, but I'm talking about it in the negative sense where you are focused on others only to be negative or to judge or to look down on. If you're focused on others to bless them, that's a beautiful thing because that's still looking to Jesus. You're seeing the Jesus in them. But if you're focused on others to bring them down, what actually happens, it brings you down. And so there was a study done that I wanted to bring up that would help me uh, explain it. And so there was a $100,000 job offer to people. And the only caveat was that they would be the only person making $100,000. Everyone else would be making $200,000. And then there was a, this other offer for, and these are hypothetical offers. They were asking people to choose. And so the other offer was, or you could have $50,000 for the salary and the only caveat is everybody else is going to make 25000 So you either choose 100000 or you choose 50000 What was interesting in the study, they found out that 50% or more chose the $50,000. They were willing to choose less because in their mind, as long as I'm doing better than someone else, that's okay for me. So I, I don't want the 100,000 because there's too many people doing better than me. I would rather shortchange myself so that I'm doing better than someone else. And so that is a really wicked mindset. It is not necessarily a sin, but it is definitely a weight. So when you're so focused on others to the point that you are looking at judging yourself, your success based on them. Well, yeah, I, I do drink too much, but uh, I ain't on, on dope like they are. Well, th that ain't got nothing to do with you. Your being, your being pulled downward is not based on them. It's based on you. And these people in the study, they chose $50,000 less just because they were going to be above someone. And so as it relates to our Christianity, 
one of the things that's very difficult to see in, in Christians is the idea of the territorial nature and the judgmental nature is we're the only group that's going to heaven. Not only are we not concerned about all the sinners, but my denomination is the only one that has it right. And ooh, look at them people over there. They so liberal and they do this and that. And when you get people that are so outward focus on other people and what other people are doing, there's usually something wrong with their relationship. Um, in Isaiah six, now I, I didn't have this in this, uh, sermon on Sunday, but you know, in Bible study, we add extra things in. So in Isaiah six, the Bible says that in the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. This is Isaiah talking. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. The angels cried, holy, holy, holy. And if you know anything about it, it talks about the seraphim and, and all of that. But the next thing that happened is after he saw the holiness of God, his next point was, I am undone. I'm a wretch undone. In other words, once he saw God in his holiness, the first thing he saw was how less he was in comparison to the holiness of God. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Lips. I live in a people of unclean lips. He wasn't blaming the people, but he was like, I am less than, and everybody's less than compared to your holiness. Then the scripture says that the angel touched a coal off of the altar and touched his lip and blessed him. In other words, when you see God in his holiness, the first thing you see is how low you measure up to his holiness. And you're not worried about, well, hey, I ain't that holy, but neither, neither is she, neither is he. Well, that church down the street, they doing this and that. But them folk over there, they, they, they got a crack house. No, when you really see God's holiness, the first thing you see is, oh, wretched man that I am. In other words, it makes you actually you focus. I'm not worried about what other people are doing. I'm not worried about other people's addiction, other people's struggles. I know my junk. I know my issues. And first of all, I'm grateful that you love me like I am. And I'm hoping that you would touch me and not leave me like I am. In other words, in other words, it makes you very introspective. And remember last week we talked about going inward. It makes you very introspective and it humbles you. Same thing with the publican uh, and the sinner. The publican was praying, saying, I'm so glad I'm not like this guy. But the sinner said, oh, I, I pray that you can forgive me, God. He, he had, his thought had nothing to do with the next person. But the person who should have known everything, his thought was, oh, I'm, at least I'm not like this sinner. So when you're like that, it's really taking your eyes off of Jesus. Because what Jesus is trying to do is have you put your eyes on you and the Jesus in you. Oh, my God, I need more Jesus in me. God, please come and help me. Please forgive me. Please, uh, I thank you for what you're doing in my life. Please do it more, God. Uh, strengthen me more. It makes you really humble and should make you introspective and hoping to be seeing Jesus in you more and more. So let's give us an example of that biblically. Here in Matthew 7, 3 through 5, it says this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So the point that Jesus is making is that you are worse off than them, but only you see their issue. And their issue is very small in the eyes of God. 
your issue is very large and you can't see your issue. You can only see their issue because you're so others focused and you're not focused on the log in your own eye. You're not focused that you're the one who has the most trouble. What they're going through, like snap a finger and deal with it. You are, you have years of stuff in you and you don't even see it. So we really don't want to be the high and mighty people. We want to understand I got a log in my eye. And that's the reason why I can help you with your spec is because I have allowed God to deal with the log in my eye. And that way, when you come with a speck in your your eye, I can actually encourage you. It's like, baby, it's not that bad. And let me tell you, I was worse off than that. And God delivered me. Baby, you can make it. I'm encouraging you. Uh-uh, quit, don't quit. Come on. Oh, well, you, you know, I, I got nervous and I smoked a cigarette before I come to church. And I decided I, I, I didn't want to come. And you'd be like, sweetheart, that's all that's keeping you coming? Uh-uh, sweetheart, come on. You don't know what I was doing. Shoot, I was I was going through all kinds of stuff and God delivered me. See, when you when you have the right focus, then you can help people, especially those who have the speck in their eye. All right. Let's uh, go further here. And point three, past focused. So this is a very important one. So the old saying that the reason why the windshield is much bigger than the rearview mirror, because the car is designed to be going forward. You do have to look at the past momentarily, but in order to go forward, you really got to be looking forward. And so you have to be willing to let go of the past and not be looking at the past because you can't be looking forward and looking backwards at the same time. And so uh, when you do that, that distracts your focus and it pulls you away from Jesus. So how can we see that in the scripture here uh, this is Paul writing to the church of Philippi. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He knows exactly who he is, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, I think the King James says, not that I have uh, count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't got it all yet, but I'm actually pressing I'm pressing toward Jesus. I'm not worried about everybody else. I'm talking about my personal relationship with God. I have not got it all right, but I'm not quitting. I'm actually pressing on. I'm not worried about everything that I did in 2023 that was wrong, and I did do some things in 2023 that was wrong, but that's not going to help me in 2024. If God has forgiven me and Jesus through his blood has forgiven me, then I'm going to have to press toward the one who is the forgiver. Because maybe if I move toward the forgiver, I would stop be getting in situations where I need forgiven. So it was the fact that I was distanced from him that caused me to make the mistake in the first place. So I'm not going to be mistake focused, past focused. I'm going to be Jesus focused. I'm going to press on. And so that also means that there's going to be obstacles that keep me from wanting to move forward. They are actually trying to push me and make me go to the past, but I'm going to have to press beyond that. So brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul is saying, I'm going to put my effort and my intentionality, not in acting like I made it and I've arrived because I have not, but I'm going to put my effort and my intensity 
in moving forward and getting a hold of Jesus, reaching Jesus. Like the woman with the issue of blood, she had went through a whole bunch, but she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And there was a lot of obstacles she had to get through to do that. First of all, she was not supposed to be outside legally. She was not supposed to be outside. And then she gets to a place where there's a crowd. But the Bible says she pressed in the crowd because she was trying to get a hold of Jesus. That's the goal for us. I can't look at the past. I got to be Jesus focused. And if he's further away from me than he needs to be, I need to move toward him. I need to press. Now, one scripture says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you, which is beautiful that if I press toward him, he actually makes a move toward us. So that makes it even easier. But you got to press. You got to move. There's nothing in the scriptures that says that he's coming after you and you're standing still. You you need to press. You got to let go of the past and you got to look ahead. Not not saying that I've arrived. And since I haven't arrived, I'm moving forward. I'm pressing forward. I don't want to be the same person I was in 2020. In 2024, I want to be a better version of myself. So that means I've got to press. I can't stop. And that's going to help me and keep me from going downward. All right. So let's look at this section here. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I want to point out, he didn't say I press for the prize. No, I press toward the goal and the goal is Jesus. If I get Jesus, I'll get the prize. So actually, I'm going to forget about the prize and I'm going to look to Jesus and I'm going to press toward Jesus. If I press toward Jesus, I'll get the prize. Some people say, well, I want my marriage fixed. Well, that's not what you're going to press toward. You're going to press toward Jesus. And in getting Jesus, your marriage can be healed. I want to press toward uh, entrepreneurship. When you're not going to focus on the entrepreneurship, you're going to focus on Jesus. If you get Jesus, then the business will come along. In other words, you learn that he's the most important thing. And if I line up with him, I'm lining up with destiny. I'm lining up with the call of God he has on my life. And remember, my life is not my own. I was bought with a price paid by the precious blood of his life, his sacrifice. So I'm going to press toward him. I'm going to press toward the goal. The goal is Jesus. The finish line is Jesus. As I press toward him, I'll actually gain the prize. But the focus is him. The focus is the finish line. When a person runs a race, they don't look for the gold medal. All they know is if I cross the finish line first, I'll get the gold medal. So they focus on the finish line. The gold medal comes afterwards. The prize will come afterwards. Focus on Jesus. And sometimes you have multiple races. And so what people, what happens is they arrive at one thing and it's like, well, God didn't bless me. It didn't happen because you got another race to go. You got to keep, you got to focus on the next thing. The, uh, the triathletes, they, I, I think they have like a, a race, a bike ride and a swim. But you don't get the prize until you go through all those things. You can't win the race. And then when the swim time comes to swim, you stand and saying, well, I didn't get blessed. So I guess it ain't working. No, get in the water and swim. You're not done. Then you get out the water. Well, I'm wet. Ain't nothing happened. No, get on the bike and ride. You're not going to get the prize until you fulfilled everything. But if you keep pressing toward the finish line, and in our case, the finish line is Jesus, you will gain the prize. And guess what? Gaining the prize is going to keep you from going downward let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you this is how you keep from focusing on the past ponder the path of your feet then all your ways will be sure 
So as you're focusing on going ahead and focusing on Jesus, then that helps you ponder the path of your feet. That helps you know, okay, am I, am I in align, alignment? Uh, last week we talked about realigning. Am I in alignment? Am I on the right path? Sometimes your GPS will say you're on the quickest path to your destiny. Or they'll say there's a detour, but you're still on the fastest path. Maybe life throws detours on you, but you realize, but I'm still on the, the fastest path. So I'm staying, I'm staying after this and I'm going to, I'm going to focus my gaze directly. Let's go back to that. I'm going to let my eyes look directly and my gaze is going to be straight before me. I'm just going to plug it down. I'm going to keep going. Even when I get bad reports, even when negative things happen, I'm keep moving forward. I'm not going to be weary and well-doing. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep uh, learning the word of God. I'm, I'm going to keep giving. I'm not backing up. I'm not going to the past. I'm going to keep moving forward. And what happens, you develop a routine that even when you want to go backwards, you don't know how to. That's, that's really the goal that you, you want to get to. So the, the next part of the verse is ponder the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. I'm going to make this larger because this is going to get us into our next point. So these previous two verses with Proverbs 4, 24 and um, I mean, 25 and 26. And now this is 27. It says, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So one of the things that this is letting us know is that in many cases, the past is where the evil lies. And so you're not going to swerve to the left or to the right. You're going to go forward. You're not going to go backwards where the evil is in the past. Past, you're going to have to look forward. And so I brought up Lot's wife. And in the story of Lot's wife, the angels told Lot that we cannot destroy the city until you are out of here. And so there was a certain place that they were supposed to go. And then on that day, Lot said, no, send us over here. Because he said, this path, basically, this is going to be easier for us. So they said, okay, we will not destroy the city until you get to this destination, this new destination. And so the scripture says Lot and his family got there and they begin to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then it says Lot's wife looked back. So when I when I really studied it, it's not that she looked back from her place of safety. She had to leave her place of safety to go and nibble and look and be uh, curious about what she came out of, even though she was safe. And that's what happens to us when we get past focus, we will be safe in the things of God. And then we get relaxed and want to start dibbling and dabbling in the old stuff, doing old things. And the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. She, she got stuck in that past. She didn't get all the way to Sodom and get destroyed, but she got stuck. There's a lot of Christians they may not have gone all the way back to what they used to do, but they're stuck and they're not moving forward because they were so past focused, even past moves of God. There are, there's a saying that says what hinders many new moves of God is people stuck in a past move of God. Well, God didn't do it like it like that last time. My grandma and grandpa's church wasn't like that. And it keeps people from seeing what God is doing now. You can't be past focused. You got to be looking straight ahead. And you can't swerve to the left or right. And then once again, we're going to look at it again because this gets us to our next point or our final point. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And so that leads us to point number four, which was evil 
focus. So these other three were really mainly the weights, not necessarily wrong to look at the past, but is a weight. And the the other ones that that we just came through, uh, actually, let's let's go back and and look at them real quick. I I'll go back and look at my notes and make sure that I'm giving them to you correctly. So we have being circumstance focused, being others focused, and being past focused. None of those things are necessarily sin. They can get you to sin, not necessarily sin. But this one is closer to the sin. And so let's bring this one back up to get back to it. Being evil focused. All right. So what do, what do we mean by that? And here's something that will help you uh, understand. It's something that, that I've seen as I look at letters and words. So when you look at the word live and you spell that word backwards, it's the word evil. So live and evil have the exact same letters in it. And the point I want to make about that is you're not going to go through this life and not be touched by evil, whether evil on the outside or evil coming from you, because we live in a fallen world. The Bible says we were born in sin. We were shaped in iniquity because of the fall of man. We are in a world that has evil in it. So in order to live the life of Christ, you are going to be affected by evil. But the point is, you can't be evil focused. You can't be drawn to evil. That's when you get in trouble. You should be able to notice evil and come out of it, not uh, notice it in yourself, repent, get back on the road, notice it in others and not make a big deal about it as long as it doesn't uh, pull you down. You keep going forward. But when you become evil, evil focused, in other words, when you take your eyes off of Jesus and you put your eyes and your focus on evil, that is a sure path downward and it will breed sin. All right. And so let's go to the verses here. These are pretty self-explanatory, so I won't deal with them too much extra. But if ye then be raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, if we don't want to go downward, we have to think of the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above not on the things that are on the earth. Don't put your mind on the evil things. Put your mind on the things that are above. And this could go to something as simple as always watching the news and getting so caught up in the news that you begin to just focus on evil, 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 and you're not focused on God. Now here in Ephesians 5, 8 and 9 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the world. You are light in the world. Walk as children of light. Stay on the path of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So this is the things you should be focusing on. And uh, Philippians tells us to think on these things, these type of things that are virtuous, good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I will pause here and make this point. This is major to me. You have to be trying. It's one thing if you're trying to move forward and you stumble into evil and you struggle with evil, but you're trying. You're trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, but you make a mistake. That's one thing. But then there are people who are not even trying and they call themselves people of God. And that is a horrible look for a Christian who's not even trying. They're just, ah, que sera, sera. We don't have time for that. We have to really try to do what is pleasing the Lord. Discern, is this pleasing the Lord? You have to ask yourself the question, am I pleasing the Lord? And in the sermon, what else 
we were saying, God, what do you expect out of us? So try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Then it says this, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, draw a clear line. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, not stuff that you struggle with, that you fell into. We're talking about the stuff you plan, you purposely got into because you don't care anymore. We are not building those type of Christians. That is not what Deliverance Temple is supposed to be about. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, we want to walk with wisdom in our Christian life. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Since we know the days are evil and, and uh, the King James is redeeming the time. Since we know the days are evil, we're not going to spend our time in the evil. We're going to spend our time in the live, the L-I-V, living for God and living for purpose and living for destiny. All right. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then we're closing with this. And this is uh, where we started in um, the path inward. And now we're ending here on the path downward and be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the spirit. So if we allow God to infill us and we're able to go inward and do all the things that we talked about last week and we stay filled, it'll help us from going downward because you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and focused on evil. It doesn't work like that. You're going to have to make a choice. But if you're focused on the things of God, he will fill you and it'll keep you from getting in these other excesses. So here, let's summarize it as we come to a close. Here's the summary. The path downward starts with anything that keeps us looking downward and therefore away from Jesus. The circumstances, the others, the past and the evil, all those things will require us to look away from Jesus and to look downward and looking downward is going to cause us to sink like it was with Peter. The problem with Peter, the difference is if you're purposely doing this and you're not focused on Jesus, then you're not close enough for Jesus to save you and to rescue you. You're just sinking downward for no reason. And why be in this thing if you're not going to be moving toward Christ and going upwards? Why be in this thing if you're going to be stagnant and going downward? So we don't want the path downward. All right, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for uh, sharing with us about the path downward, God. As we come to this closing prayer, God, we pray that you would just bless us and keep us focused on you. And in focusing on you, we would be the people that we need to be. We'll be standing on the word of God, walking on the water of this world instead of sinking. Now, Father, God, if we have done anything that is adverse to your will. God, we repent. We ask that you would forgive us to wash us and cleanse us and make us more like you. Make us over so we can be the people, the sons and the daughters of your delight. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. I want you to have a great, wonderful, and a marvelous week. Remember to tell someone about the things of God. Tell someone about Deliverance Temple, what's going on here, the powerful things that are happening. Invite somebody to church. Share this so that we can keep growing together. God bless you. We love you. I'm signing off.